Welcome to Family Shield Ministries. We are both a podcast and a radio program, so this is pretty exciting. My question for you is, have you ever been in that moment where you're sitting in church and the pastor does it again? He looks at you and somehow he knows you haven't been reading the Bible. And he looks at you and says, you should really start reading the Bible. It's the word of life. It's good. The more you're in the word, the freer you are. And then you do that thing where you nod, but on the inside you go, but it is so boring. Today, we have somebody who uh, I deeply appreciate and respect, uh, Reverend Dr. Jeffrey Kloa. And he was at the Concordia Seminary here in St. Louis when I was here. And then in 2017, Dr. Kloa, you went to the Museum of the Bible. That's correct, here in Washington, D.C., yeah. And so far, they're holding on to you. Uh, yeah, so far. You know, it's been six years. Um, pretty amazing place, uh, amazing mission to... Uh, share the Bible with, with the world, with people from all kinds of backgrounds here in the nation's capital. So uh, a great topic, uh, great uh, effort here at the museum, and great response from, from our visitors. So encourage everyone to come out and see all the amazing objects and displays and interactives, things we have here in Washington, D.C. So I am Mark Femmel. This is not Kay Meyer, uh, if you haven't noticed already, for our regular listeners. Kay Meyer is an extraordinary individual and uh, so extraordinary. She actually asked me if I would be willing to interview Dr. Clovis. So my name is Mark Femmel. I'm a pastor here in St. Louis and uh, part of the Family Shield Ministries uh, team. And so I'm very excited to have this conversation because for me personally, the Bible is just so exciting. And it's one of the things that you just can't get around as a historical record, as a accurate history. But I get it. A lot of times people find the Bible boring. So Dr. Kloa, my number one goal here today is to find out how did y'all find enough interesting stuff about the Bible to turn it into an entire museum? <laughs> well, we could, we uh, yeah, I mean, that's we have a 430,000 square foot museum. There's six floors of uh, uh, space here, five floors of exhibits. And uh, I tell you, we're only scratching the surface here. Um, everything from the history of the Bible, from the manuscript and printed Bible uh, tradition, you know, amazing uh, manuscripts and rare books on display, but also with interactives and video. So it's not just a book in a case kind of a thing. And then a, a second theme is it, it is the most uh, comprehensive display of the history of the Bible in one place anywhere in the world. So it's, it's incredible. Um, and then another area of focus is the stories of the Bible. So we have very uh, custom designed um, multimedia, we call them experiences, that walk people through the Hebrew Bible, uh, the Old Testament, you know, the narratives. Everything from let there be light through the return of the exiles and the promises. Um, there's a, a life-size reconstruction of Nazareth. So people get a sense of what life in the first century was like for Jesus. And, uh, and then there's a, a theater on the New Testament story from the resurrection through the early church. And then our impact of the Bible floor has all kinds of uh, little sections on the Bible's impact on things like art, literature, government, uh, Human rights, healthcare, uh, uh, justice, uh, family life, uh, um, work life, you know, vocation, all kinds of ways that the Bible has impacted culture in ways that people probably don't realize. You know, you might know about the Good Samaritan uh, from a hospital or from a Good Samaritan law, but you might not know that the Good Samaritan is a story, of course, from the Gospel of Luke. And so, what we see our role as is helping people take what's familiar and show them how the Bible has uh, impacted that area of life. 
we work with um, uh, multiple countries. We have a, a long-term partnership with the Israel Antiquities Authority. So we have the largest display of the archaeology of Israel outside of Israel, in fact. Um, working on project, we're opening one with the government of Greece in uh, a couple of weeks, next week, next month. One with the Malta in, uh, for Christmas in November. Um, who else? Bethlehem Church of the Nativity for Christmas this year. I mean, there's really no end. Uh, the Bible has impacted every area of life in virtually every culture in the world. And it's still being translated. It's still impacting people personally and culturally uh, all around the world today. Now, in preparation for our conversation today, I actually, uh, I like to prepare. I'm a Lutheran. I like to have a system and prepare. Yeah. Um, so about four years ago, uh, one of my kids went to the Museum of the Bible in preparation for this moment. <laughs> and then uh, about uh, two years later. Sent him on a scouting mission. Huh? I did. I did. I wanted to make sure it's legit. I wanted to make sure it's legit. Uh, and then the, my, I've got two kiddos. The second kiddo went a couple of years ago. Uh, it was for a school field trip through uh, through their school, Lutheran school. And uh it was one of their favorite things. Uh, getting ready for it, one of my kids said, you know, getting ready because it's expensive. And I said, what are you most looking forward to? And she said, the Museum of the Bible. Because I've heard from other kids who've gone, it's awesome. And I just want to tell you, and for our listeners, if you think about going on a trip to Washington, D.C., once they opened, uh, you have got to include the Museum of the Bible in your tour. And Dr. Claw, how, how many hours or days would you say would be a full enough experience to get it? Well, it's uh, it's almost too large a space. If you read every label, watched every video, did every experience, it would take you about eight days to do the entire museum. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of people will come and do four or five hours here. Okay. I would say you really need at least two to kind of hit the highlights, you know, really a two-hour minimum. But I'd really encourage, you know, three to four is a good time in a museum. Three to four hours it's, to just uh, yeah. really taste it and get the flavor? Yep. And of yep. course, like museums, if there's something that really interests you, you'll say, oh, let's really look at this or take pictures and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'll appreciate this, Mark, because, you know, uh, Dr. Veltz, uh, another former professor from Concordia Seminary, uh, he and his wife came to the museum in January and uh, it took Jim and I uh, seven hours to do one and a half floors. <laughs> Between the two of you, you pretty much know everything there is to know about the New Testament, especially. So well, I, of course, Dr. Velson knows far more, as he will tell you. But, but uh, <laughs> I, I would have loved to have just followed you around and just heard the two of you talk. Yeah, it was fun. And try, try to understand. That would have been so awesome. So I'm in the city of St. Louis, and there are tons of museums and features and exhibits and all sorts of just wonderful things. Um, Washington, D.C. clearly has more. But a big thing in St. Louis is a lot of the museums, and uh, this is not, no way would it rival the Smithsonian as far as uh, longevity and variety in different museums. Uh, but a lot of times museums are just, you walk in, you look at this picture, you look at that display. But I have been very thoroughly interested and very uh, proud of the church because we have really done a lot of immersive experiences. So I have been to the Creation Museum and uh, the uh, the Ark Encounter uh, you know, not too far away here from St. Louis. I think it's northern uh, Kentucky. Right. And uh, it was so neat because it was so immersive. You actually got to see the uh, like the, how the how the food would have been um, like cultivated, harvested off these moths. You'd be able to see uh, the animals, uh, like you know the pens, how they were stacked. I'd never realized that. And something for me that struck me when I was at this uh, ark encounter is when you're there, you see, oh wow, this is so workable. The ark could have even been smaller. And I remember that far more than ever reading Genesis 6 to 9. 
And it's just, it's so neat. But when I go back to Genesis 6 to 9, it helps me embrace it so much more. So I'm very excited about the immersive experiences. One of my daughters came back and uh, I was talking to her today and she had come back a while ago from the museum. She went there for four years, but um, I was talking to her today and she said that uh, she really enjoyed yet a virtual reality tour of Israel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is that still a thing? Virtual reality tours? We have a, we have a kind of updated, better uh, version, but similar. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what sort of uh, displays has that been incorporated into? Like, what can you tour? Well, it's a uh, it's a VR experience. So you know, you put on the goggles and it it walks you through um, basically locations in the life of Jesus, uh, filming the spots in Israel. So it's kind of like doing a, a whirlwind tour of the Holy Land uh, while you're doing it in VR. Um, but it's in chronological order, or at least uh, uh, narrative order from the Gospels rather than geographical order. Oh, okay, okay. So you could actually take the tour, like you're not really walking around with Jesus, but you're actually seeing, experiencing the, the Gospels. Sites, so, you know, here's, here's the baptism site, and you know, reading from Luke 2, and you know, uh, here's the ministry in, in Galilee, feeding the 5,000, the amount of uh, uh, Beatitudes, you know, just kind of walks you through the, the locations in the, in the uh, narrative order. So if people come to the Museum of the Bible, when they're hearing the same texts Sunday after Sunday, um, they would be able to have visual memory and auditory memory of seeing and hearing and being there through the VR tour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say having been to Israel, you know, eight or nine times myself, it's not the same. Sure. <laughs> you know, that's, that's definitely a, a life-changing experience. But this will give you a taste, and we get a lot of really positive reactions from, from that, just that uh, VR experience for people who, you know, will never have the chance to go. You know, I don't remember the statistics, but uh, people by far and large are visual learners. Mm. Auditory is almost at the bottom. You know, kinesthetic is even more more there because you can be there. And virtual reality is amazing because you, you can experience something without actually being there. Yeah. And so this would get the auditory, this would get the visual, this would get uh, a synthesized kinesthetic. That is, yep. that is remarkable. Now, are there any parts of that tour that um, people cannot get if they're just going to the Holy Land? You know, like if I went to the uh, to Bethlehem, they're not going to let me lay down where Jesus's manger was. You know, if I went oh, to Oh, actually the... they will. Uh, if there's not a long line, they will they will let you do it. I've had, you know, we, did, we started a class for seminary students uh, 10 or 11 years ago, and um, I've had students lay in that uh, spot on the star. And, and uh, as long as there's not pilgrims behind, you know, trying to get the, the same experience, yeah, you can do it. Oh, wow. People will kiss the star. Oh yeah, yeah. It's. Um, I mean, I, I know the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem is not on a lot of tour itineraries, but I would, I would highly, highly recommend. It is a, a pretty unique experience. Um, and if you can't go, you can come to the museum on uh, October thirty first. We're opening an exhibit about the church, its history, its connection to the gospel stories, its uh, art. So yeah, well, it's a partnership with the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. Uh, it'll be here on our fifth floor. Man, that is just, that is so awesome. Yeah, cool project. Good friends, great people, you know, wonderful people. I've been working with them for probably four years now, and uh, just, just wonderful people. There is an international community of the Bible, isn't there? The entire church. You know, I, I, found, I found that the Bible is something that brings people together. You know, really, no matter your, uh, you know, Christian background, if you will, um, even Jewish communities, you know, there's there's a core uh, of the Bible that is uh, essential to life. And I would say 
there's a greater recognition that in our, especially Western world today, uh, there's a loss of what the Bible brings to our world. Uh, just basic, you know, human rights and uh, care and concern for one another. And, uh, you know, these core values, these core that only come from the Bible uh, to come together and uh, highlight those in a positive way for all people. Many, many people will get behind that. Yeah, the, to, to help people see that the Bible has been and continues to be central. Uh, we, we've had a lot of very good partners just on that basic uh, approach. And I love that you had that right out of the gates and it just continues to permeate everything. It's not just a, here's the Bible, you better believe it or we hate you and you're going to hell. It's a, hey, look, this is this, you cannot ignore the Bible. You cannot ignore its cultural in, impact. I mean, even if you are a Buddhist from China, um, you are going to have your history and your future and your day-to-day -day life right now intersect constantly with biblical values. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to touch on a couple of things in just a second about, uh, like how, so you are the chief curatorial officer of the Museum of the Bible. And, uh, I would just love to hear how that has impacted you individually, you personally. Um, but I just gotta, I just gotta kind of lay out, um, this episode is only part of what Family Ministries, uh, Family Shield Ministries does. Uh, Family Shield Ministries, we care about families, uh, and we want to help them walk together with each other and with God. Family Shield focuses on equipping families to witness to each other and to the world, which can be so, so intimidating. Family Shield radio program also airs on 50 stations throughout the United States and on podcast platforms. Family Shield also coordinates other educational and evangelism projects, which now, this is exciting, uh, just recently started to include Faith Family Reunion, uh, with a point to serve parents with prodigals. Prodigals are adult children that grew up in the faith, uh, but have left the faith, at least for now. Family Shield Ministries is self-supporting and listener-funded. So, uh, to be truly honest, we do need your prayers. We need your support. We need your generosity and sacrifice to allow us to share the gospel of those who do not yet know Jesus and to empower Christians to serve and witness. And any gift is a huge gift because it's put into the hands of God. So we'd ask that you would please pray for us. Please send a donation, which could be a one-time gift, or you could do a recurring monthly gift at familyshieldministries.org. Even if it's as small as the widow's mite, it gets the attention of Jesus. And uh, a podcast episode that we just recently had, it's not just about you know getting into the Bible, which certainly is awesome, but uh, just recently we had a podcast uh, episode talking about eating disorders and how to get freedom from that. And we also actually just recently had Dr. Seltz, the Lady Seltz, who's over there in Washington, D.C. So I assume uh, Dr. Kloa bumps into the Seltzes from time to time, Lutherans in D.C. Uh, he, he comes by and brings people by, yeah. yeah. Sweet. Uh, she was talking about getting freedom from trauma, uh, part of a project that's passionate to her heart. So uh, let's get back to this conversation. So Dr. Kloa, you are the chief curatorial officer. Uh, is it, Do you go by CCO for short? Uh, yeah, that's what ends up in the emails. Yep. The CCO. <laughs> All right. So you are the CCO for um, one of the largest museums in Washington, D.C. And um, I'm assuming the largest museum of the Bible in the world? Uh, yeah, that's definitely true. This is definitely a, a very, a very um, narrow target and a very narrow um, goal. So uh, a lot of other people are, you know, chasing dinosaurs, which is great. Um, all right. So I'm, I'm really curious uh, for you individually, having your hands and experience on so much and constantly having to be on these interviews and constantly having these conversations and constantly having these questions and constantly having to work on uh, the ministry and the, the approach of sharing the Bible. How has this uh, affected you individually as a Christian? That's a great question. You know, it's um, uh, 
you know, it's a new organization. I'll start with that. So when I came on uh, just before we opened, there was a lot that needed kind of fixing, you know, so it was, it was frankly, uh, you know, uh, a long time of just endless hours getting everything together, you know. And um, and then, you know, trying to build it into a functioning organization, you know, and, and bringing, you know, creating departments and uh, hiring fantastic, talented people uh, has been wonderful. Um, I'd say what uh, what um, has impacted me personally, aside from learning a whole ton, because, you know, I was focused on New Testament and manuscripts, but here it's 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 amazing i learn new stuff every day literally uh so it's just pretty cool but also the um uh because of the focus on the bible i kind of touched on this earlier uh recognizing that um there are people uh impacted by the gospel around the world who are seeking to do god's work where they are and it might look very different from the way we do it you know in the midwest or on the east coast they might be in another language. They might dress differently. They might worship differently. Uh, but at the end of the day, they are they are serving the gospel in their context in, in some pretty powerful ways. And to be able to talk to people who are doing that, to to uh, be able to share some of their stories here at the museum, uh, that's been pretty cool. It's just been been great to recognize the vastness of the Church of God, and. Um, uh, you know, play a small role in sharing that with the world. Uh, you know, you often hear that, uh, you know, well, I don't, I don't go to church because how many others, it's Christianity is so divided, you know, and they're, they're, which one is true, whatever, you know, at, at the end of the day, of course, there are, you know, doctrinal differences, teaching differences that, that uh, need to be sorted through. Um, but at the end of the day, there's an awful lot in common uh, through, through Jesus Christ and through the word of God that um, uh, it's great to be able to, to help, um, share some of those stories. So that's been pretty cool, pretty cool for me personally. As a pastor, uh, one of the Bible studies I've been doing, I realized uh, adults need the catechism too. They need uh, the basic teachings of the faith too. And so I went through the entire Bible and through a bunch of um, uh, doctrine books, like theology books. And I said, all right, what, what is it that Christians believe? Like points of faith, like how many angels are there? What's in the Lord's Supper? What about the Bible, where to come from? Should, do you, you know, how to pray? worship styles, music, all that stuff, and uh, divided up into about 50 categories. Originally, it was 70, but it got simpler as I went on. Um, but it was neat because uh, there's five levels of this thing. I call it the house of faith. And so some of the topics are foundational things. Um, and so if that's wrong or framing, that's the next level. If it's if those are wrong or dangerous, uh, it's not safe. The next level is roofing. So if that's if the roofing level theology is bad, um, you could still get along and you're still fine, right? You're okay, but you might have to move the pots or empty the pots of water every so often and deal with mildew. But then the the, the least important is furniture. Uh, and so doing this Bible study, the biggest impact that I've heard from people is they say, not everything is something to scream and yell at somebody about. <laughs> I'm like, correct. Yeah. Correct. Yep. And that's been very neat for a lot of our people. That right there has been the biggest part of this. Most of the people just kind of already knew it or kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. That's that's who Matthew was or, oh, right, right, right. That's what baptism, that's the opinions on baptism. But the most, the biggest feedback I've gotten is, oh, hey, so we're all still just kind of like together. I'm like, yes, yeah, so we're all we're all together. So that's interesting that um, that uh, your your work with the international church, especially like you just mentioned in Bethlehem, mm -hmm. you know, you're not just sitting there on the internet downloading articles and putting it on a display and saying, "Hey, here's what a dodo bird may have looked like," you know, kind of thing. That is yeah. just uh, 
That's neat. No, they're real people. And, you know, and, you know, I'll say also at the same time, it's also helped me appreciate our Lutheran uh, framing of things, our Lutheran approach. I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, but I think the Lutheran way of doing theology, way of understanding the world also um, equipped me really in a way to understand and work with many different groups. And, and uh, I, I mean, I think Lutheran is kind of the perfect Christian denomination to be for a job like this because, you know, we have our liturgical heritage, but we also really like the Bible. Um, we focus on the gospel. Uh, so it, it, it kind of is a nice, um, you know, I guess God has a plan in a way, right? So here you know, I, I am. I hadn't thought of that until you just said that, but um, a big emphasis, and you as one of my seminary professors hammered this into me, um, that it's it's about the word. It's about the word. And if someone's going to worship a different style or practice the sacraments a different way, uh, let's let's agree on the word. Let's agree on the word. Let's agree on the Bible. Let's agree on what the Bible says. And let's let's make that the guide. Let's make that the norm. Let's make that the way we hear God's voice. And God can speak in other ways, but He's definitely not going to contradict what He's already said. All right. Uh, so this museum of the Bible is just—it's so awesome. And I would love to at some point uh, revisit with you. Uh, you know, like what's a manuscript? What's an unseal? Why does it matter? Uh, let me ask you before, before we run out of time, um, I did a bunch of work and I know I mentioned this to you before and you and I were doing some work on this before. I'm super interested in the historical Jesus. So like looking at the math, gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and saying, Hey, if they were going to make it up, they would definitely have never made it up this way. So if it's not made up, it's gotta be history. It's gotta be like what actually happened. Otherwise they would have polished it differently. My work in that has made me so much more confident as a Christian sharing the faith with people, because I know that when you're holding up a gospel, uh, you're not overextending. You're not trying to prove that the legends of King Arthur are are real, you know? Right. Um, how has the Museum of the Bible helped you share your faith? Um, yeah, I'd say um, similar, similar. I mean, again, we have such a broad uh topic and so many things we talk about it's really given me a, a foundation and so many ways to connect with people on different things so pretty much anybody i meet i can show them how the bible connects to them in some way whether they like uh, you know again art or culture or human rights or government or family or anything you know there's there's so so much there so I, that, that's been helpful to me um but maybe I'll back up. It's related to what you said. I just got back uh, a week and a half ago. I was a lecturer, whatever, presenter for a uh, Journeys of Paul tour. We went to, uh, you know, Greece, uh, Turkey, Rome, uh, Athens, Corinth, Thessaloniki, Ephesus. And um, it's similar to going to Israel. You have the same kind of experience to, to see, you know, to go through. Corinth is amazing. You go to Corinth. And uh, there's the Bema, the seat that Gallio sits on, nine foot tall, and Paul appears before him in Acts chapter 18. And uh, uh, it's the spot, right? It's it's not made up. We know the name of the guy. We know the year. It was 51 or 52. You know, it's a little hard, you know, six months here or there. Um, it's exactly the way it's described. And and it's it's not like it's 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 not it's real, right? It's it's there. First uh, Corinthians 10 mentions the Michelum. It's a very specific name for a marketplace in a Roman city. And sure enough, the Michelum is just about a quarter mile from the Bema, and they found the inscription that identifies it as the Michelum, right? Uh, you know, this stuff is not fable. It's not myth, right? 
um, you can go to the places and see how they connect very directly. You know, when when Paul talks is imprisoned in Caesarea in uh, in Israel, uh, we know that the name of the room that Paul appeared before Festus, and we know exactly where that room is. You could stand in the same room that Paul did when he made his defense of the gospel. Um, similarly, when you talk about the, the historicity of the Bible, the transmission of the Bible, the accuracy of the Bible and its translation, I can show you manuscripts here at the museum from the, from the early third century. Um, manuscripts of Romans, manuscripts of John, the oldest Greek uh, translation of the Psalms is in our museum here. I can show you one of the four oldest Masoretic manuscripts in the world, uh, 10th century Hebrew manuscripts. Um, so, so to be able to not just have this floating around, but to be able to connect concretely to actual things, right? Uh, things in time and space to remind us that God works in time and space, right? He's a God of history. He's a God who impacts history, God who changes history. And, and to, to be able to touch it well you can't touch it in a museum but you can you can see it in the museum and uh what if there uh, isn't a long line will you let us touch stuff and kiss stuff like the church in bethlehem the insurance company won't let you touch stuff but uh, <laughs> you can you can get really close and you can take pictures you know i can't remember who started the whole pursuit of the book of mormon but there was a big emphasis a while ago early 1900s of uh, okay let's find the places that this stuff set, was said to have happened in north america so they found these places then they didn't even find arrowheads in these places where these giant places were supposed to be yeah and uh, but it's very different with the bible yeah and people are like oh we found the pool of siloam we found the pool of siloam now now we know the bible's true it's like okay that's one out of like thirty thousand things that we found yeah. that lined it's, up with it's the bible. page after page after page after page after page all right, I got to talk us out. Uh, let me just ask you a quick question. Favorite book of the Bible? Oh. Uh, Pick your favorite kid. Yeah, I mean, it used to be 1 Corinthians, but lately I've been teaching Philippians a lot, so I think I'm going to go with Philippians because Paul's happier in Philippians. All right, last question. Uh, coolest thing in the museum? Coolest old thing you got? Oh, man. Um, oof, that's a tough one. Um, the chief curatorial officer. Yeah, I mean, let me give you several. So, again, that, that Masoretic manuscript from about the year 1000 is, is gorgeous, beautiful. That Psalter from the early 3rd century, it, it's amazing. The 3rd century fragment of Romans, really cool. Letter of Thomas Jefferson talking about the role of religion in America and that, you know, freedom of conscience is a fundamental right. 1809 Letter of Thomas Jefferson, really cool. The original uh, manuscript of the um, Battle Hymn of the Republic, written here in Washington, D.C. We have that. I mean, I could go on and on. Oh, that's and so on. cool. It's, it's really good stuff. Yeah. I love the Bible, but I love that you have the culture around the Bible. All right. Well, Dr. Kloa, thank you so much. There are so many good treasures here. So many good treasures. Uh, we have been enjoying some time with Reverend Dr. Jeff Kloa from the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. This is Family Shield Ministries. You can find us at familyshieldministries.org. The Lord be with you. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, 7045 Parkwood Street, St. Louis, Missouri, 63116. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Thank you.